All right, good evening, everybody. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Colossians 3. This Sunday, remember, for both services, we've got a special guest speaker coming in from um, Samaritan's Purse for Operation Christmas Child. She's going to be sharing when she received a gift and how it's impacted her life, and now she works for them, I think, is how that story goes, and uh, she'll be sharing with us at the 9 and the 11 service both. So that ought to be good. Um, also, if you're planning on signing up for the uh, Intruder Awareness uh, Seminar we're going to be having here on the 28th, is that right? I think. Um, go ahead, and the computer's set up back there. You can just, uh, Aaron will help you and walk you through the registration process if you're thinking about coming. We've got a couple other churches, it seems like, that are going to be showing up for that also, which is good. We wanted to, we wanted to make it available for, you know, all of them and uh, to come in for this. So hopefully they're going to take us up on that. And that's what's going on. So, all right, Colossians 3. We, this book, um, Paul writes to encourage this new group of believers. And, you know, kind of a small place, actually, um, compared to the other bigger places. I mean, Colossae was medium, but um, he, no matter where Paul went, there was always a group of guys that would follow him. And uh, after he would leave, uh, they would come in and say what Paul told you was half of what, he, what you're supposed to know. And there's some religion that you needed and added, added Judaism to it. That you need to get circumcised and a multitude of other things. And so Paul writes this letter to them to, and, and remember that's what it's, it's for us also, to give us peace. Um, for us to know that we're really saved. Uh, for us to know that what we first believed is true. And some of the other stuff that we've been maybe picked up or someone's tried to force on us, isn't. And so you get the first chapter telling us all about Christ, the truth of Christ. You get the second chapter telling us all about the truth of the cults and what they try to get you to do and the strange things they try to uh, add to Jesus when Jesus is, is it. And then in chapter 3 here, we have what does it look like to live as a Christian? And Paul does that. That's how he works it out. Here's, here's, your, here's your solid foundation. Here's the warning for the wolves that are out there to devour you and to steal your joy, to take away your peace. And here's what it ought to look like, you know. And isn't that what we all want? Super practical, this is what it ought to look like to walk with the Lord. And so he, he, he concludes last week with uh, all these things, these religious things, do not touch, do not taste, all that stuff doesn't make you any more holy than just being with Christ. These things that they put on you, you, you can't add to that. Um, so he goes into chapter 3 then with that understanding. Here's what you can do, though. Here's what you can do. He says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He takes the first four verses of this chapter and points us up to heaven. We place a, a, a pretty good emphasis on worship here, at singing at Calvary Chapel, um, as well as other churches. But here we've really taken the time, and we like to take 20, 30 minutes for singing because um, that's bringing us into the throne room of God in the sense it gets our minds off of today's events, um, troubles, trials, difficulties, ailments, whatever bothered us today whatever attacked us today, you know, it depends on how you want to look at it. And it gets our minds thinking about him and where he is and where we're going to be. And we begin to sing to the God who saved us, who created us, who loves us, 
And it begins to change us, and it gets us settled down so that we can receive the Word of God. And that's why we spend that time getting focused on heaven, letting the things of this world grow strangely dim, as she prayed, and we get our minds and our hearts on heaven where they should be. And so he tells us that if you were raised with Christ, the whole, the whole picture of Jesus coming to earth, being born as a baby, and walking this walk is really a picture of our walk. We get a clue to that when John the Baptist says to Jesus, I shouldn't be baptizing you, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, it's got to be like this. It's got to go down like this. We see Jesus born into a world that constantly told him his whole time, and this is rough, this is a rough analogy, it's not perfect, but it's, it's rough. I'm acknowledging that. But he's born into this world, and the, the whole time he's growing up, he was told he was born in sin. Everybody around him knew or thought that he was born in sin. They, they even challenged him on that later on in his ministry. So we know that. He grew up with that. And he had this idea and he understood God. And then we see him kind of disappear off the scene for a while. But then we see him, okay, coming to that place where John was to get baptized. He's doing the walk we have to walk. We're born in sin. We're born in this world, and the world is fighting us and battling us and wanting to keep us in control. And we finally came to that place, hopefully that's why you're here this evening, to that place of being born again. You've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to get baptized, and you get baptized. And that, it's the beginning of your ministry at that point. And this is what he's talking about here. If you were raised with Christ, when you water baptize somebody, that's why we do immersion here, because we believe what Paul says in Romans and also here, that it represents death. It's like symbolically being buried with Christ and rising to new life in Christ. In fact, that's what we say when we baptize. We baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That covers those folks that think that that's how you have to be baptized. Then we say, in Jesus' name, to cover the other folks that think that's how you're supposed to be baptized. And we rise to new life in Christ. And we do that. And symbolically, I'm leaving that old man dead and I'm rising to new life in Christ. And that's when Jesus' public ministry began. And he began to minister for as long as he could minister until he was crucified. And then he rose from the dead and so on. And we see Paul trying to teach that to them. If you died to the elementary principles of the world, when you were baptized, you left all that stuff and you rose to new life in Christ. In other words, symbolically, I identify I'm hidden in Christ when he died and rose again. So did I died and rose again. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Although I'm not there yet, we all know that. He talks about us like we are already there. He always talks about our salvation in past tense. That was done. We're just not there yet. And so Paul says, if you were raised with Christ... Our minds ought to be thinking like he's thinking right now. And what is he thinking right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's thinking of heavenly things. Our hearts and our minds, the happiest people on this earth, are those whose hearts and minds are thinking about heaven. The saddest people in this world are the folks that are thinking about everything that's going on day to day constantly. Now, I'm not saying that we're supposed to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. We are firmly grounded down here, and we are to occupy until he comes. Don't misunderstand me. We have things to do things to say, ministry opportunities down here. But our minds and our hearts need to be so unentangled with this world that they're super tangled with Him. We're always thinking of Him. If then you were raised with Christ, which we were, seek those things which are above. Don't seek the things which are beneath. Don't be looking for the other stuff. They never satisfy. They just don't. 
the car, the new car. Everybody, has anybody ever bought a new car? I bought, a, I, bought a, I bought a new car twice, twice in my life. Oh, they smell good. And they're nice and they're shiny and they buffed it, you know, before you pick it up and everything. They just really do a detailed job on it. You get out, you're like, ooh. And then you go to the grocery store and someone door dings you. And it's not the new car anymore. And all of a sudden, it's just that car. And by the time you're done, you're doording at other people because you really don't care anymore. It's just a piece of junk. Now, the things of this world just kind of fall apart like that. They just do. Um, jobs. Ooh, I got a new job. And it's exciting to get a new job. But after a while, it becomes an old job. And it's just something that you got to do. And making money is making money. And it really doesn't mean you figure out later on. It's like, you know, it really doesn't matter what I did. I had to work, I had to get up, I had to go someplace, I had to do something for somebody else, and they paid me to do it. It really didn't matter what I did. It just, it's not, there's nothing there, there's no life there. We need to set our minds as Christians on those things that are above. What am I seeking? Uh, a new car, a yacht, uh, a boat even, um, a better job, more pay. These are all things that don't last at all. And so since I've died to the elementary principles of this world, which we discussed in Colossians 2, and I've risen to new life in Christ, I need to think about the things he's thinking about. That's where your joy is. Think of the things above. Set your mind on the things above. And you'll hear that throughout this chapter. It is a decision you have to make. I have to decide to set my thing. He's telling them, you need to set your mind on things. He's not, he's not going to do it for you. You have to set your minds on the things above. We have to do that. And so he tells them, you want a happy life? You want joy? Keep your mind and your heart in heaven, your home. Um, does anybody remember their last week in high school? It was the best week of your life. Because I woke up every morning just about my whole high school career because I'd never studied and I never got ready for the tests and I was never prepared. My homework was never done. Okay? That's who I was. Don't ever do that, young man. But I, but I did. And it was a gut-wrenching feeling. How can I fake sickness today so that I don't have to go to school to face my problems? And I, my whole career was like that until that last week. And I was, I was going to make it. And that was the greatest carefree week of my life. It was the greatest week of my life. I showed up. I'm like, it's Monday. Going to school. Last week. Friday's graduation. I didn't care. It didn't matter if I did anything. The rest, it was that kind of feeling that just the weight was lifted. The diploma's coming. I really, if I don't even show up, they can't do anything about it. They still got to, I'm just going to, oh, you're talking to your friends. How you doing? It was just a great week. Guys, you've died to the elementary principles of this world. And we've risen to new life in Christ. And I don't know how much longer any of us have down here, but we're going to heaven and it, you know, bad job, got fired. Oh, well, going to heaven. I mean, honestly, what can they do? What can, and that's what he says. In not such a funny way, but what can man do to me? What can come against me? What can separate me from the love of God? What can separate me from my eternity with God? What can do it? I don't know how much longer we have to live, but I'm thinking about the diploma and the pearly gates and all of that. And it brings you joy, and it brings you peace, and it lifts that weight off. Now, we still have things to do. Again, occupy. We're soldiers. We're called to that. But we don't get nearly 
We don't think, take things as seriously as we do when you get your mind and your heart in the right place. Those small things don't matter anymore. The door ding on your car, that was going to happen. I mean, kind of everybody knows that's going to happen. You know? And, and, and the losing of the job or the changing of a job, that's going to happen. A difficulty or a rough patch in your marriage, it's going to happen. But remember, you're both going to heaven and there's no marriage in heaven. So let's just, let's just forgive and let's just move on and let's just let's keep living together and loving the Lord and growing and letting these small things go, you know. And Paul's trying to encourage them, get your mind set on the things above. Here's some of the things he wants you to get rid of in verse 5, us to get rid of. Therefore, because you're heavenly minded, because your heart is there, Put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Get rid of those things. Don't just deal with them. Don't just uh, learn how to operate in this life with those things. Kill them. They've got to go. Every one of those things, except for necessarily, the, I suppose, covetousness could be sexual, but the, other, the first ones are. They really do have a lot to do with that. That fornication is any kind of sex outside of marriage. It's just got to go. All of it. Make no deal with it. Make no provision for it in your life. Remove that from your life. Uncleanness. Those are kind of perversions in that area. It's got to go. That's something you do. It's something you put off, he says. Not only in the beginning are you supposed to set your mind on those things. That's something you do. You also put off these things or put to death these things in your life. They'll live on and on and on. No one's going to do it for you. Honestly, it doesn't matter how much you pray. You've got to make a decision to not. I've got to quit. I've got to just stop. And yes, prayer. Of course, prayer. God, give me the strength. Um, help me through those times where my flesh is weak. Of course, all of that. And, and God does, for sure. But there are decisions we have to make. This is sin. First of all, you have to acknowledge it. And then it's got to go. And put it to death. And guys, um, from experience, you've got to starve it to death. It doesn't die easily. There's no magic bullet. There's no pill you can take. It's a starving to death kind of thing. And it screams the loudest when it's about to die. Any one of those sins, any sin, especially these sexual sins, any one of them screams the loudest right before it dies. You've got to feed the spirit and you've got to kill the flesh. And the only way you do that is you feed the spirit and you starve the flesh. That's how it happens. And you, so you starve that flesh and it'll let you know, I'm hungry, and it'll let you know, and it screams the loudest right before. It's a battle, it's a war. And yet Paul calls us to wage that war. It's something we're to wage. Fornication, uncleanness, passion. Nothing wrong with having passion for your wife. Nothing wrong with any of that towards your wife. The, the marriage bed is undefiled, uh, he tells us. Uh, Hebrews 13.4, the marriage bed is undefiled. Enjoy. And, you know, I've had a conversation with a few young people, and this was years ago, and I think I can share with them. Now, they're old people now, older people, older married people. But they were so uncomfortable their first night together because they'd been told for so long that sex was so evil that they thought they were in sin on their first night. It's just like, this is just, just, just feels wrong. 
And they didn't have a good perspective. They didn't have an understanding. Um, it's not. It's designed by God. It's his idea. Guys, not to be put too fine a point on it, but every bit of it was his idea. Every feeling, every sensation, all of that was his plan. He created that. It's all good. It's only good or bad out of context, out of the context of marriage. That's when it becomes bad. It has nothing to do with the act itself. It has to do with the context that it's in. And so the marriage bed is undefiled. Um, enjoy one another thoroughly and often. And I have to say that because I want the kids to hear that. I want them to know that there is nothing wrong with it. God does not turn his face away in shame or embarrassment on that wedding night. It's not sin. But outside of marriage, it is. It's damaging. It's destructive. It hurts you. It hurts her. It hurts everybody. You give a little piece of yourself away to somebody else that you can never get back. And if that's not your bride, if that's not your husband, it's gone. And they'll carry that into their marriage, their true marriage. That's why it's so important to stay pure until marriage. And then, Hebrews 13, 4 the marriage bed is undefiled. But Paul says to these folks that just came out of a hedonistic world, a worldly life, you've got to put that stuff away now. It's not okay now to fornicate. You can't go to the prostitutes. You can't do uncleanness, any kind of perversion. I don't want to get into the details of that, but it's thoroughly covered in Leviticus. Passion. For others, not just for your wife, you know, that's fine, or husband, but just passion, uh, evil desires, thoughts of hurting. Okay, get, keep that in mind. That's the kind of idea behind that. And then covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is wanting what somebody else has, not something that somebody else, like somebody else has. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you see someone driving a car down the road and you say, that's a good looking car. I want to buy one of those cars. That's not covetousness, that's just research. Okay, um, I want to take that guy's car. There you got some covet problems. Or I can't wait for Bob, Uncle Bob, to pass away so I can get that Ford Fairlane that's been in his barn. That's covetousness. It becomes an idol at that point. These are all evil things. These are all things that need to be put away. And it's not just cars. I picked on something easy. It could be another woman, another man. You can covet those things. Um, all those things become idols. And here's, how he, here's how, how he makes the jump to idolatry. When my mind is on heavenly things, I covet heaven. There's nothing idolatrous about that. I want to be there with, with Christ. But when I begin to want things in this world so bad, then I'm not heavenly minded, I'm earthly minded. That's the difference. I'm no longer desiring God and to be with him, and I don't care about this stuff, but all of a sudden I care about this stuff, and he's out of my mind. It becomes more important to me than God. So there's the idolatry. Um, so we have to be careful of that. Of that. Um, with this heavenly mindedness, God will prepare us in funny ways for that, to get us there. Um, if you've ever lost a loved one, a close loved one, um, you love your aunt, you love your great aunt and all that, and so, but some of you are closer to different relatives than others, and, and, then, and then when they go on to be with the Lord, that does something to you. On the inside. Things aren't as important down here. You're thinking about where they are. 
and you desire to be where they are, and you will be. If they were born-again believers and they're with Christ now, you will be there with them also. You'll be there. And all of a sudden, the things of this world, you begin to let go of these things, you begin to focus more on that. Um, I remember uh, with Jenny, she, I, a, a husband failure, I'll, I'll share with you. We were on a, a missions trip down to Louisiana, helping them load up for that, uh, that, that ship down there. I don't remember what it was called, Friendships, I think it was. They take um, cargo over to Israel and uh, help them and all that. And we were down there helping them load and doing some work around their property down there. And um, her grandmother died while we were down there. And she was sad about it, and I understood she was sad and um, comforted her like I thought I should comfort her, and we went on with the mission. You know, no big deal, I thought. Um, I was really, really wrong on that. Um, she was the most important woman in my wife's life. Um, the most stable, the most loving, the most nurturing, the most caring woman in my wife's life. And we should have, or I should have, immediately gotten plane tickets and gotten home for this funeral um, and taken her to it and should have, should have, would have, could have. But I didn't. Um, and so her uh, picture of her grandma is beside her bed, sitting there, and one of her needle points is up on our wall beside our bed. And it, it dawns on me now, and as a husband who's thick-headed and a male, there's nothing I can do about it, it's born that way, I realize how important that is, but... All that being said, Jenny's really looking forward to seeing her grandma again. Jenny has a real light touch on this world. Jenny's thinking about not just grandma. She wants to see Jesus. Obviously, she loves Jesus way more than grandma. Don't get me wrong. But it's, it's changed her heart towards this world. Eh, they're not here anymore. The people that I love the most are falling away, and they're going to be with Christ now. I'd just rather be there than here. And it changes your mind and it begins to move you in that direction. And God will do that. So be encouraged in that. God hasn't taken someone from you. He hasn't tried to hurt you by removing them from your life. He's getting your mind right and settled on the things above. He's getting you thinking about him. I've got him. I've got your grandma right beside me and she has never felt better and she has never looked better, and she's never had more joy in her life than now. And we're looking forward to seeing you also, and that's how you think of it, you know, and God moves us that way. So there doesn't need to be bitterness at the death of a loved one, but there can be a longing and a desire to have a light touch on this world. Now, he says, I want you to get rid of these things. I want you to be thinking like above, down here, and he, he gives us that in his, in his prayer. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, you know the prayer, the example that he gave us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, um, and so on. Uh, thy will be done as, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. In fact, we're supposed to desire that down here. We're supposed to have, we can't make heaven down here. I'm not a kingdom now theology kind of guy. You can't make it happen so that Christ can return. I don't believe that. That's not what we're called to. But he does want us to make it like heaven down here. We desire it to be like heaven down here. And so that's my job as a Christian, as a, as a little Christ, you know, uh, an imitator of the Lord, to make it as joyful and as loving and as merciful and as peaceful as I can for everybody else around me because that's what it's like in heaven. We're called to that. And when my mind is set on things above, I can't do these other things, the fornication, the uncleanness, the passion, the evil desires, the covetousness, because that, that doesn't bring heaven down. It says this in verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. 
in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Interesting way he puts that. Do you know why Paul is writing this to the Colossians? Because they were, as Christians, doing these things. Just let that settle in a little bit. Same thing when he writes to the Corinthians in chapter 6, verse 11. Such were some of you, so why are you still doing those things? Those were Christians still doing those worldly, fleshly things. The difference being, as a Christian, we don't walk in those things. We don't live in those things. Those are anomalies that may happen in our lives, and I want you to know that. Sin happens to us sometimes. Sometimes we sin. Sometimes we fall into old habits or do something that we thought was dead, but that thing keeps rising up off the altar and coming into my life again. These things happen. But they should be strange. They should be foreign to you. And they should be dealt with that way. This is weird. This is not me. This is not who I am. Where did this come from? It should shock us and deal with it and remove it and kill it again if you have to. You know, it needs to be gone. But don't ever make a deal with it. And he writes this so that we don't ever forget that's why Christ or the wrath of God is coming upon this earth is because of these things. We're never to be okay with these things. Never to make a deal with fornication or uncleanness or passion or evil desires or covetousness or idolatry or all the things mentioned in 1 Corinthians 6. We're not to make deals with those things. They're not okay. That's why the wrath is coming. But they do happen. We do commit these sins but we're to deal with them and to remove them from our lives and ask for forgiveness and just get right with God immediately. When he tells us to do this here in chapter 3, commands us, encourages us, however, however you want to read it, um, these are things that can be done any time, and it's not hypocritical. The world has gab- grabbed that word for us. Christians are a bunch of hypocrites because we fornicate, unclean, passion, evil, everything in 1 Corinthians 6. And then we come back on Sunday and we ask for forgiveness and we try harder. And we want to walk closer to God, not for salvation, but from it. And so they say, you're a bunch of hypocrites. It's not hypocritical. It's just walking with the Lord. And we make mistakes and we sin and we fall, but we get back up. We keep moving on with him. It's not, a, it's not hypocritical. It's hypocritical to say, it's okay for me, but it's not okay for you. That's hypocritical. But acknowledging it as sin in your life and desiring to walk with God the very next day, the very next moment right after sin, oh, God, forgive me, I can't, I can't believe, I don't know where that came from, forgive me. It's not hypocritical, it's being a son. It's being a daughter of a heavenly father who loves you and wants you to return to him, who's looking for you to come back. That's what it is. And as you grow more in love with Jesus Christ, the less and less you'll be sinning. Slowly but surely, it's, it goes away. So that's why the wrath is coming. Verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. You yourselves. He makes sure that we understand whose responsibility it is. But now you Colossians or you Maryvilleites uh, or you Canadians since you're visiting over here. <laughs> but now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, put it off. Wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, 
who, had, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. Now, he hit on some very big deals. We don't know who the barbarians are or the Scythians are. You might have read something about them, but for these folks, that was huge to say those two. What do you mean we're all in Christ? A Scythian can be saved? A barbarian can be saved? We're to treat them equally? Are you kidding me? This would have been shocking to them. I can't think of a shocking person. I was going to try to think of someone like Vladimir Putin coming in here as a born-again believer, and we're supposed to treat him fairly? I don't think so. Yeah. There's no difference in Christ. There's no more Greek, no more Jew. And this was big for them because the folks that came in behind Paul and told them they needed to have Judaism along with Christ, that's fine, but you needed to have all the dietary laws covered and you needed to do this, that, or the other thing and to still be, you know, to be really, really saved. That's what they taught. And Paul says, no, no, no. There is no more Greek or Jew. We're just Christians. Uh, there is no more circumcised or uncircumcised. That doesn't make any difference at all. We're just Christians. There is no more bar- barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. No difference at all. We're just Christians now. We're the same. But Christ is all in all. We're, our identity is hidden in Him. We've taken on Him and we've died to ourselves and He now rises and that's how we live. Um, and so He tells them that. Don't lie to another. Put that, those things out of our lives. Get rid of that. When you feel that anger rise up, maybe you have a problem in this area. You can feel it. And you can, you're going to go off. You are responsible to stop that. Control it. But this isn't me. This isn't who I am. That's who I was. That's the old man. That's the one I put to death. He's trying to come back to life again. No. You can't just say that's who I am. I've got red hair. I'm Irish. You know? It's not. You're in Christ. No wrath. I don't get to take vengeance. I don't get to bring the hammer down. No malice. I don't get to enjoy it when other people fail. I don't get to look forward to that. And believe it or not, there are a percentage of people in everybody's life that enjoys it when you fail. They get excited. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Now they're getting a taste of it. It's almost a joyful feeling to them. It's like, that's malice. No. It's on purpose. Blasphemy shouldn't even be there. Filthy language out of your mouth. It's something that needs to get straightened out, cleaned up, you know. Um, he doesn't give us a list of those things. I'm sure that their words back then, we would be like, what's the big deal? Words to, you know what filthy language is. You know what's not good, okay? When people look at you and go, stop, get rid of it. Do not lie to one another. That seems like an easy thing to do, just don't, don't lie, but that's harder than you think embellish. We have different words for it. Um, the truth, but not with the right context. You know, there's, there's lots of ways to tell people different things uh, that's still a lie. You know it when you're not giving out all the information in the right way. Um, don't lie to people. Um, put these things off. It's a decision we make. And have put on the new man. We've got a new man. Here's what we can put on now that we're no longer divided up for all these worldly divisions of nationality or circumcision or barbarian or whatever it is that we've been divided over. It's now we're in Christ. Here's what you do. Verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, 
Don't miss that. Paul just called us holy and beloved. I don't, I certainly don't feel holy. I know I'm striving for holiness. Be holy for I am holy. I want to be holy. I want to be that. And I know that's through obedience, but Paul says it's, it's as if it's past tense. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. He's our example. He lived that way. He showed us. We've experienced his forgiveness. I hope you have. Truly, truly experienced his forgiveness. Then you should be able to forgive others the same way you've been forgiven. He never calls us to do something that we're not equipped to do. Oh, I don't know if I can forgive that person. He just said, you have to. That means you can. I'm called to forgive, and I can do that, and so can you. There's no excuses for it. There's no situations that are worse than others. If Christ can save the worst of the worst here on this earth from all the things they've ever done and put them on the cross and taken God's wrath for, in place of them, what am I going to hold against somebody? Well, I know you died for you know, that guy, but you have no idea what this guy did. I, I don't get to say those things. The tender mercies thing, I, I think we need to, I want to focus a little bit on that. It won't take long. But mercy, we understand what mercy is. That's not giving somebody what they deserve. Like a kid who needs a spanking, you don't give it to them. You've shown them mercy. Uh, they've got a big sentence, a, a jail sentence. Uh, the judge shows mercy and doesn't give them a great jail. So we understand that. This is different. This is tender mercies. This is mercy is not like, I could, but I'm not gonna. That's not tender mercies. Tender mercies is giving mercy with love. With a, with a happy heart, with joy. Not, I'm with, I, do you see the kind of restraint I'm showing? That's just mercy. That's not tender mercy. He wants us as Christians to give each other tender mercies. Benefit of the doubt. Um, that's probably the wrong way to put it. Um, no, I'm not going to retaliate. Of course not. You're my brother. We all do things that are, we are I totally understand. I get it. I, I feel that way. I genuinely feel that way when someone comes up to me, you know, you come up to the front and they want to talk to the pastor about their past, you know. Oh, you don't know the kind of life I've lived. Are you sure you're ready for this? I just don't want you to think bad of me or whatever they say. And I'm looking at them with compassion. I'm like, are you kidding me? You have no idea. You, could, you wouldn't shock me at all. Tell me everything you've ever done. It makes no difference to me. It doesn't have to do with me anyway. It has to do with God. And he certainly saw you do it all, and he was there with you when you did it all. So nothing's going to shock him either. I'm not going to think ill of you. That's a genuine thing I feel, and that's something that God's done in my heart. There have been other times when someone, you know, before I was saved, when people would tell me stuff, he'd be like, really? I never looked at them the same ever. But not anymore. That's something, that's a, that's something God's given me. Um, if you, it doesn't matter what sin you've ever committed. I don't care how many people you've killed. I don't care what you've done. It makes no difference to me. I will never look at you differently except through the eyes of Christ. It's Christ. He's done everything for us. So those are tender mercies we're to give to our wives. <laughs> we're to give to our husbands. We're to give to our kids. Tender mercies. We're called to that. Sometimes it's easy to give it to a stranger who's homeless on the street or the person who missed the bus or the person stranded, or whatever, you know, tender mercies, tender mercies, or grace, or whatever. But it's, 
it's the people in your home. It's your loved ones. It's the relatives. It's your family event <laughs> that you get to go to. Tender mercies available to them. Kindness, just being flat out kind. It's amazing to me how quickly kindness leaves my thoughts or my ability. I just, just being kind to my kids or kind to my wife and not, not a sarcastic remark. We're, we're, we can do that sometimes. I can do that sometimes at the Dirks household. Um, sh- little jabs here and there. They're funny to me. You know, um, course this, course that. Little, little, <laughs> it's amazing what happens when I put on kindness that day instead. And just let that kind of stuff go and not, and not be the funny guy in the room that makes people feel um, in a good way, because I love you, small. You know? Just being kind. Humility, that's a great quality. Meekness, that's power and control. Long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and we've gone through that. Put those things on. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. That's the first thing we want to do is love. Love God, love people. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. There's a, the, the, the word let there should be circled in your Bible. We, we can either let it or we don't have to let it. But let the peace of God rule in your hearts. He, he wants to. Peace wants to rule in your hearts, but we have to let it. Sometimes we won't let peace come into our lives. Some people love turmoil. They love strife. They love complications and problems and difficulties, and they love to tell everybody about the problems and difficulties they're having in their life because that's their identity. That's who they are. They're known as the person who's always in trouble or has problems or is hurting somehow. And there's genuine times like that, but it shouldn't be your definition of your life. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, he wants to give you peace. And, God said, and Paul says, let peace rule in your hearts. That's one of the things when people ask me, I don't know whether I'm supposed to take this job or that job. How do you, do you have a peace about it? You know? You've got to be careful about that. Do you have a peace about it? And does it line up with God's word? God's word is the final authority because our hearts are desperately wicked above all things. But if it lines up with God's word and you have a peace about it, good. If you don't have a peace about something, it's a red flag. I'm not saying you're not supposed to, but it's a red flag. You think about Jonah. Jonah didn't have a peace about going to Nineveh. And so he decided to go to Tarshish instead. And he had such great peace that during the storm, he was asleep in the bottom of the ship. That's how much peace he had going in the opposite direction of God's will. So that's where I get my doctrine from is God said, go to Nineveh. And it doesn't matter whether you have a peace about it or not. That's where you go. You got it? So you got to be careful about that. I want to have peace about it for sure. But it needs to line up with God's word and what he's spoken to me. And so we always want a couple witnesses there. You want peace in your heart, Holy Spirit giving you peace. But you also want to have God's word. And you never want to go against it. I just have such a peace about getting this divorce. No, you don't. No, you don't. Um, It's contrary. Um, be careful of those things. Um, there's always going to be a ship going to Tarshish in your life. There's always a ship just waiting for you. Isn't that ironic? I want to go to Tarshish. Hey, good. That's interesting. We're just heading there. 
there's always a ship to Tarshish to lead you away from what God's will is for your life. God may call you in this direction. I was thinking uh, Lance was telling me about his new job that he got. And he won't mind. He's not here. He can't defend himself. But he's telling me about his new job uh, that he's got. He wanted me to pray for him. Oh, you bet. I'll pray for him. I'm excited about that. And he had such a peace about it. He says on his way out the door, they offered him more money, this, that, the other thing. They didn't want him to go. I was thinking, wow, what a great application. There's always a ship to Tarshish to keep you from doing, to woo you away from what God wants you to do. And, of course, he took the job anyway, the old job, and didn't stay at the, at the job. He, uh, he just felt convicted he shouldn't be there anymore. Um, there's always a ship, so be careful about that. And so he says, let, let peace, I was a little bit of a tangent, sorry, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Do, let that. Uh, to which also you were called. You're called to peace. You're not called to, to not have peace with God. You're called to have peace with God. To which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That's something we have to decide to do. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to let it dwell in me richly. You never want to, I'm, I'm all for experiencing Christ, for sure. We've got to walk with the Lord. We need to do it. It shouldn't be academic, but we also have to let the Word of God dwell in us richly in all wisdom. And here's how you'll know that it's dwelling in you richly. He says, you'll teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That'll be coming out of you. When God's word gets into you, worship comes out of you. It just does. When God's word correctly goes into you, when you understand God's grace and his mercy and his word of God is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword, it's just in you and it's dwelling in you richly. It just comes out as praise. And look how we teach each other. When I teach and admonish somebody... It comes out this way, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You ever get corrected during worship? You could be. If your heart's prayed up and you're ready to sing the songs and you're reading the words and you're singing them out to the Lord and you're really, oh, you know. Half the time, people could probably walk out of church after worship time because everything they came in heavy burdened with and laden down with was lifted during worship. Because the doctrine was so correct. The words were so right. It's just scripture. The Psalms like, oh, what am I worried about? No, don't leave. Please stay and hear the teaching. But it's amazing. Let the word of God, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That means you know how to use it. You don't just have it data memorized. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Always. Verse 18, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. It's exactly what it says. It's exactly what it means. God says what he means. and means what he says. But he doesn't say, wives, submit to other men. Don't have to submit to other guys, other husbands out there. You know, you should be wearing different kind of clothes when you come to church. You, should, no, no, no. you are submission, submissive to your husband, your own husband, as is fitting to the Lord. It's a beautiful picture. The wife represents the body of Christ, and the husband represents Christ, the bride and the groom. Um, it's a great picture for the world to see as the wife or the church submits to her husband, Christ be an example. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. You kind of wonder what Paul's thinking when he writes this stuff. What, 
You know? What would you be bitter towards your wife for? I don't know. I don't know, but maybe you needed to hear that tonight. Love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Don't love them because you have to. We used to sing a song like that. It's kind of, is it meant to be a funny song? You know, we love, uh, well, I pick a name. I'll, I'll pick on Brad since he's in the front. We love Brad. Oh, we love Brad. Oh, we love Brad because we have to. Songs like that, you know, um, is meant to be funny. Is it, as an icebreaker, as you got to know new people and um, <laughs> quite an icebreaker for church, but oh well. Sick and twisted, but. You don't love your wife because you're supposed to. You love your wife and you get rid of that bitterness that you have towards her, if you have any. I don't know what it would be. But don't let that bitterness be there because Christ, our husband, doesn't have any bitterness towards me or you. And we're called to that. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Listen to them. God wants you to be obedient to your parents. God's pleased when you're obedient to your parents. He likes to see that when you're obedient to your parents. It's a pleasing thing to him, even if you think they're wrong. Now, he's not, calling, he's not saying children obey your parents to sin. Be careful. Um, as parents, we don't get to do that. We don't get to cause our kids to sin. We don't get to tell them to sin. Um, someone calls, you have your kids pick up the phone and say, you don't get to do that. And the kid can say, my dad's here, just a minute, and feel free to go ahead and hand the phone over to your mom and dad. You may be in trouble, but they don't, you don't have to obey sin. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, it doesn't put mothers in here. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Another place it says, don't provoke them to wrath. Um, guys, we can do that. We can put a lot on our kids. They're little kids. They're little kids. They don't know the world. They don't have the maturity. Sometimes I expect my kids, no matter what their age, to know and have the experience that I have. Oh, you're not going to want to do that. You're going to have to do this, that, and the other thing. Just do that. And it's hard for a little kid to, I don't understand why I'm supposed to do that. Be careful that you don't provoke your kids lest they become discouraged. It can become discouraging if you put such a high plateau or level for them. This is what it looks like to work, son. I'm seven. You know, pick up that straw, get it on there, you can do it. I probably could, but there's seven, you know, or eight or nine or 16. Give them, give them some grace. You want your kids to grow. You want them to do well. You don't shove a little toddler around. Hurry up, run, run, run. Everybody knows they've got to just develop and get their coordination and figure things out, you know. They'll fall on their own. You don't need to shove them. And as dads, we've got to be real careful about that, to not place what we think on them. We need to really be in prayer about what our kids are growing up in God's view to be. What does God want my kid to be? You know, God didn't want my kids to be swimmers. He wanted them to play soccer, I guess, because that's what Jenny does. And I've got one swimmer now, finally. After, this is my fifth kid, a swimmer, you know. I'm not bitter about it at all. I had, to let, I had to let them do what they're called to do, what they're supposed to do. They're different. Why is that kid always inside? Why is he always on the computer? Probably because he's going to be a lot richer than you someday. You know? Why is he always like those dumb strategy games? Because he's going to be a brilliant general someday. I don't know, and we don't know. Why doesn't he like to go outside and fish like I do? 
Because it's gross. He doesn't like worms. It's okay to not like that stuff. I'm picking on little stuff. But we have to be really careful as dads that we don't put on our kids. We, we definitely don't, I, I think we can all agree, we don't want carbon copies of ourselves running around. You know? I love who my kids are or who they're becoming. Now, I want them to have character. Nothing wrong with that. A good work ethic, for sure. And you want them to love the Lord, love their God, not my God. I don't want them to love my God. I want them to love their God. You want to build that into them, of course. You want to train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're older, will not depart from it. We want that. But we don't want to provoke our kids, and we can do that, lest they become discouraged. It can become discouraging. What are the, whatever that looks like in your life. Bond servants, these are employers, or employees. Obey in all things your masters or your employer according to the flesh. Do what they've asked you to do, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart fearing God. In other words, I don't work for them. I do, but I work for God. And whether they're looking or not, I need to do my best. I don't get to take a fistful of pencils or pens home from work because nobody saw me do it. I don't get to do that. Um, I don't get to sit around with my feet up or get on Facebook at work and then when the boss comes around, I quickly switch screens you know, to another page or whatever. I don't get to do that. God sees all that, not as I service, not as men pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily. I like that. I mean, go for it. As to the Lord and not to men. Serve God in everything that you do, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance For you serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. God's going to take care of all that to our to our own masters. Right. We're going to be accountable um, to our master. He's going to he's going to call us on it and God will call them. I don't have to worry about making sure God saw that or the boss saw that or whoever. It'll come around. It'll come around. And that's we close tonight. Um, Be encouraged. Paul wrote this down, this chapter 3, because he says this is the best way to live. Put these things off. Take that off like a garment and put these things on. And then walk in these things and you'll be blessed. It's an amazing walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's always true. Um, It's always convicting in one way or another. It's also always encouraging in one way or another. you're You're just a really good father. You never ask us to do stuff we can't do. We never get to that place where we're provoked or we become discouraged. You bring us to that place of encouragement, of growth, of walking closer with you and more obedient to you. But in the same time, you're, you're also encouraging us in our successes, in, in our obedience to you. We thank you for that, for being that kind of father to us. Lord, help us to be that kind of father to those around us, whether they're our kids or somebody else's kids. Help us to encourage. This world is meant to beat us down. Satan loves to beat kids down, beat families up, take out leaders, loves it. Lord, help us not be a part of that. Help us to be light and salt, to be uh, an encouraging light, and to bring flavor to people's lives to build them up and to encourage them in their walk with you, Lord. Um, Help us to be quick forgivers with sincerity and help us to have that tender mercy you talked about, Lord. We love you. Thank you for all those things you've blessed us with, those tender mercies and forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.